by Playfair Capital. Rethink the way you live and work. Hello and welcome to The Chess Pit, the podcast where three guys talk about chess. Occasionally I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined as always by my good friend Phil Makepeace. Good morning. And my other good friend Robin Sarfas. Bon matin. How the hell are we doing chaps? I'm feeling spotty. I reckon what's going on is because so many of the signs that you use in BSL require you to touch your face. I think this is what's happening. And so all of my practice I've done, I'm kind of just going around my face. And yeah, I have come out in hives on basically the places that you use. So basically you you do a lot from the temple and the chin and um, particularly around the sort of bridge of your nose. There's a lot of signs, so like that's I'm doing two uh, things down, down the bridge of my nose. That's evening, which is something that you know done times of day and stuff. So I reckon that's why. Either that, or I'm just not getting enough water or fresh air. It could be a combination of three. Maybe if I'm just sitting inside all day practicing signs, then I'm probably not getting that much fresh air or water anyway. But yeah, weirdly spotty, unfortunately. But it's half term, so you know whatever. Unfortunately for the listener, the they are consuming this through an audio medium whereas for us a zoom call we can see phil so we're we're really taking the brunt of this here how about you robin how are you doing oh, i was a lot better before phil's rendition of the acne hokey cokey just then <laughs> <laughs> um no i'm very well thanks uh much better than last week i'm over sort of the flu that's been going around and uh i'm ready raring to go i'm going to be podcasting the shit out of the two of you today so <laughs> you played a tournament this weekend so we should maybe talk about that yeah, I did. I was uh, in beautiful Bury St. Edmunds, um, which is a very well organised uh, tournament, I must say. How was the COVID rate? Uh, we discussed that last week. We said it was quite high. No one I saw there looked like they had COVID. <laughs> so that's good. Um, not a limited acne as well, as far as I could... Uh, <laughs> As far as I could uh, make out, um, yeah, it was it, it was nice. It was um, a bit hectic for me. I was staying with uh, with with uh, with John and my friend um, Simon in in Cambridge, um, and then commuting every day. And so there was a bit of a faff with getting trains, being on time for games or or on time from games for the last train and stuff, which hampered me somewhat. But yeah, I got three out of five um, for the weekend, which is a plus score, which was good. And yeah, uh, had a nice time all round. It's weird hearing you call him Simon because we know him as Paddy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> it's a long story, but his name is Simon Patterson. And I guess Paddy comes from the Patterson part and everyone calls him Paddy Patterson. Um, but yeah, his name is Simon, which I'd completely forgotten about. Um, yeah. And so you played five five games, long games. So it was the same as the, the tournament you played recently in Leamington Spa, right? Yeah. So I could actually only, pl- I only played four of the five games. I had to take a half point by on Sunday morning because rural train services on a Sundays don't start until very late and so I just wasn't able to get to be able to make it in time which was a bit annoying but uh it's uh it is what it is and uh saved me money on a hotel so and how did you feel this time around in the tournament situation because obviously like the last time you talked a lot about like on over the board management and stuff like that did you feel as though you'd improved this time around I think I've certainly improved I'm getting more used to used to the format now and I had to give myself a sort of stern talking to after a really poor game a few weeks ago um, which was just a disaster based on sort of very poor time management and playing too quickly and psychological issues and so I'm approaching things in a far more sort of level-headed manner and I think it's making a difference. Phil you mentioned before we came on air 
which is something that I think a lot of people, it's a turn of phrase a lot of people don't like, so I apologise for that. But you mentioned that um, you aren't going to play tournament chess for a while. Is that right? I haven't really played tournament chess for a long time. The last time I played internationally was eight years ago. I played the London Classic Open, I think, whenever it was, 2018 maybe? Might have been 2019. feel like it was 2018 though. I Yeah, I'm not, I'm going to take a year off. Had a lot of... Uh, upheaval shall we say and also just I, I feel like i need to you know you can good thing about chess is that you can take breaks and you can come back to it um i'm in a position where yeah I play tournament chess and you know more than say 50 games in a year probably i don't know 23 20 22 years running between the ages of 8 9 and 31 so now yeah, I mean, it's not like it's um, it's not like it's forever. I'm just going to have a little breather. But what it does mean is that uh, yeah, I can maybe maybe do some some study as well in preparation for my glorious return in n months, n years. But also, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's if you if you're teaching as a profession, if you're teaching chess as a profession, I don't necessarily need to be playing that much in the evening or the motivation is not as there as it might have been when I had my cricket job as well so when I wasn't just doing chess coaching it felt like there was more of a separation I think it's healthy generally to have you know hobbies that are different from your work but to take a complete uh, amnesty from the game is something that is not necessary for that but equally I think it'll probably be healthy and it might increase my appetite for playing again in the future i'm i'm feeling okay about it like it's it's not something i'm going to necessarily miss because it's you know i don't i really don't think there's like a fomo for for playing chess uh because you know you can just come back to it another season and it's not like there's a shelf life with your you know if it if i was like a professional footballer taking a year off that's a big deal because a professional footballer's shelf life is like what 12 years 15 years whereas with chess especially the kind of chess we play local league and the old weekend tournament then your shelf life is probably more like 60 years so very relaxed about taking some time off and robin what's your next planned tournament wise yeah so i am going to be playing in i think is it the central london chess congress something like that uh taking place in imperial on the 12th to uh 14th of november which i'm quite looking forward to not least because i don't have to travel for it i can just commute from home every day which would be nice um that would be a good one actually i think um benji friend of friend of the show uh benji is uh is going to be playing as well as are some other sort of uh of our known chess uh people associates yeah yeah on that note i think it, it might be possible to do some kind of chess pit meetup yeah. on the saturday evening maybe so we'll 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 put stuff on our twitter maybe nearer the time about that if you are in the london area or if you fancy playing in the central london congress uh yeah come and i'm sure we can put some money behind a bar somewhere to to make things happen there and you can get to see phil's acne firsthand i mean I, i'm looking i'm doing okay <laughs> Just, yeah. he's grim he's like the hunchback of notre dame <laughs> I do caution listeners. They know what they uh, they know. You know what they say about meeting your heroes, right? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we should move on to the first item on our agenda, which, as always, is 
the the item which begins with Hugh and ends with you. Hugh Breakin is the lead singer of Spylaw. Spylaw are the band who sing our theme tune, uh, which you will have just heard if you are in fact listening to this podcast. Hugh has views, and this week's view from Hugh is: I'm really happy that on my day off, they're doing loud work on the road outside my flat at half past eight. It's nice. Sounds like he recorded that at half past eight. Yeah, well. and you could hear, probably hear the uh, the work going on in the background there. Yeah, I've had this quite a lot lately. I don't know what it is. Are people just completely lost all kind of social grace? We had guys doing, um, they were fixing a car outside at 4am, um, which was terrific. I mean, using, you know, uh, power drills and uh, those, you know, those... <laughs> worry things right outside my window at 4am yeah i think there's a big difference between half eight and 4am right <laughs> yeah like in terms of losing to, like there are days gone by when 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 half eight was you know most people would be awake and out of bed by then before everyone started working from home and got to get out of bed at 10 um 4am does seem a bit uh bit to be taking the piss yeah <laughs> was it because they were like doing an emergency repair or was it just these dudes had just decided that that was the best time to fix They're the car f- filming the new need for speed <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean too phil too uh, furious <laughs> have we made this joke before about how you know there's been so many fast and furious movies by now that there must be just be brisk and peeved um yeah i, I think these guys were basically they run like a uh, whatever you call it like a just sort of mobile van repair shop and i imagine they just had some late night business that just needed to be done on the road rather than in the lockup uh either that or they're human traffickers and they needed to change the the number plate or something either is either is possible in my area frankly yeah well i'm fortunate in that i live in a nice suburb and so uh, we live on an estate, so we don't really get much noise. The only the only thing I have to contend with at the moment is my parents like banging around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe not the best choice of words. So. <laughs> but my my parents have have the this weird morality of like getting up in the morning that you're a better person if you're awake and doing stuff at seven rather than nine. Uh, and so I think they they just have some kind of joint agreement that they're just going to make noise in some way or other just to wake me up so protestant work ethic yeah that's it <laughs> robin have you noticed i don't i don't know about you john you may have noticed this as well um when you go to a pub now and you've got one of those uh like long trough style urinals <laughs> um guys are now really self-conscious about like because before i reckon you could you know you, you just sort of squeeze in and elbows in and you just kind of get on with it and now because of covid and because of everything people are going oh no sorry and you get like two people in like a 12 foot urine like everyone's kind of like going oh should we should we find that gap is it are we, are we gonna i don't know i was out last weekend and it was definitely a thing where there's like a queue formed and then this bloke just went fuck this and then just went straight in the middle of these two guys when there was probably to be fair a gap there that would have existed 18 months ago that um appears to no longer exist so social graces in that respect i think people are people have just kind of forgotten how to act around anyone did that guy get an exemption from the latvian government to allow him to to bisect those two people and uh, and go and urinate yeah, yeah, he had he had a certificate and everything. Yeah, yeah, he got it. He got he got a certificate from Uyghur. Yeah, social distancing. Way. <laughs> well, that brings us, I suppose, nicely onto the topic of Latvia <laughs> via a urinal. 
in South London, presumably. No, you're in North London, aren't you? Um, but yeah, uh, lots of stuff going on in <laughs> in Latvia, mainly chessy stuff. Although I did notice, I mentioned to you guys, that the England women's national team in football are playing in Latvia, or were playing in Latvia yesterday, and very little was made of that, um, which I think shows just how little interest there is when it comes to COVID and football these days, that the, the assumption is, well, it's football, so it should just go on ahead, uh, given all the kerfuffle that we've had with, with Latvia. But um, interestingly, we talked last week, I think, about access, maybe making tournaments more accessible for people, and uh, it seems as though this has made tournaments more accessible for people, because a lot of the top top 10 players have dropped out of this tournament um i suppose making it meaning that there will be less high profile players who who uh, do make the take the limelight in this sense so what what are we thinking on on the the whole latvian situation at the moment well there is a sort of counterpoint to that in that it's it's you know i think justifiable for 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 for, for players to think that there is some risk in in attending this tournament in latvia and clearly the ones who are in the position where they can drop out of the opportunity to play at such a sort of mm. big event are going to be the top 10 players who are actually earning a probably very decent income from chess you know you're, the players who I just saw dropped out I think was what Mamadiarov Grishuk Vidit Report uh, Report uh, Nakamura Naka. all of whom yeah all of whom especially Nakamura are doing very well for themselves and, and I'm sure and can sort of afford to, to, to skip a tournament whereas if you're a journeyman 26-20 uh, grandmaster who's you know got an opportunity to play at the the FIDE Grand Swiss then I think that you're going to have to uh, uh, so this is another example I guess obviously it's within a I, I wouldn't sort of call the uh, call sort of a, any grandmasters kind of underprivileged but this is, does is again an example of how COVID sort of is going to you know, hit the uh, hit 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 the everyman more than the the sort of elites who can uh, who can just afford to sort of move to New Zealand or afford to just drop out of the FIDE Grand Swiss um, at will. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the uh, comparing it to the 2019 event, uh, there are only th- uh, 13 uh, of the 2700 club playing this year, and in 2019 there were 20. So obviously it's more than that. 20. It was it's, uh, certainly more than 20. I've just done a quick count. Um, I've got down as far as 21. Um, so yeah, uh, the yeah, it's it's definitely a weaker event, but it's also a smaller event. There were 154 players last time. This time, I think there are 108. So yeah, much smaller. It's an 11 round event. This means that the yeah, an 11 round event for 108 players. You reckon? I mean, the the winning score last time was eight out of 11. I think you're probably looking at seven and a half this time. So it's going to be very, very close. You might get some serious tie-break situations happening towards the end, unless someone just goes ahead and gets it done. But looking at the field, I can't see that happening. Uh, people like Caruana and Aronian at the top and MVL, well, they don't need it. They don't need the qualification. Oh, does Aronian? Aronian? Aronian might need the qualification, Aronian's I suppose. not qualified for the Yeah, candidates. so Aronian might. Yes, but people like Caruana and MVL, who are already qualified for the candidates, might... Um, Sort of take it a bit easier and just use it as a kind of as a as a, as a tournament to just attack. Um, but that means they're probably leaving themselves out there a little bit. Phil, remind us what the uh, currently qualified candidates are and how they've qualified. Obviously, uh, Rajabov I know is first, and he has the wild card because he was uh, sort of dubiously discounted from the last one. Okay, so so far we've got Rajabov yeah as the essentially the wild card. Oh, it's, it's cool. Does that mean there won't be a wild card? No, there's no wild card this year. So he's the candidate nominated by FIDE, which is just a euphemism for we boosted <laughs> it up. 
corruption. Yeah. <laughs> and then we've got uh, Duda and Karyakin qualifying from the World Cup. And then, yeah, there's going to be two qualifiers from this event in Latvia, two uh, finishes, top two finishes from the Grand Prix, and whoever loses the World Championship match next month will also qualify. So, yeah. Is there not any qualifiers just through general performance? They got rid of the rating one, I think. No, there's no rating one this year, no. They've given that place to the uh, the second finisher in this, basically. There's no average rating one. So based on what you just said, Phil, presumably Caruana and, and MBL could do with, with qualifying via the, the Grand Swiss. As in they don't need it, as in they're in the Grand Prix setup. It's not their only chance, right, okay. Yeah, so they, they're, not in the, they're in the Grand Prix setup as well, so they can absolutely do that. So yeah, uh, they don't need it, but yeah, you're right. Obviously, it'd be amazing if they for them if they got it done here, but uh, it's not like they're absolutely 100% invested obviously because no one else can apart from magnus or nepo can get the slot through being the runner-up in this year's world championship so really i mean if you look at the the, the grand prix and the grand swiss there's a, those are the only two opportunities right you're going to have to come at least second in one of those tournaments so i mean i don't know it, it, i think duda is probably a surprise inclusion for the next candidate duda and kayakin were both probably wouldn't have been in your top eight you would have you would have predicted beforehand so and then you know with Raja obviously having uh that slot and then one being Magnus or Nepo it's quite a it's going to be quite tight for for, for for people to get into the candidates next year I think that'll be quite interesting actually when it comes around to it No I agree and looking down the list let's, let, let's look at the top 10 players uh, so Caruana Aronian Firuja MVL Vitugov Esipenko Hari Krishna Dubov Alexienko and Fedoseyev you know out of those <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, Caruana, I think, is a big favourite, but it's a Swiss. It's 11 games in short order against, you know, the, the, they're going to be playing an average of 26, 70 odd. Uh, these guys are, and they're playing against, as you said, hungry, just under 2,700 players as well. You know, there's going to be some accidents in round one. You know, like Aronian's got black against Tabatabai, who's one of the uh, Iranian breakthrough players of the last couple of years i i can see this being like i mean even seven and a half out of 11 might be might um I, you'd imagine that would that would be enough plus four but you get these big very compacted um swiss tournaments that sometimes plus three might be enough here i i it it depends i mean but there is an opportunity for someone let's go lower down i mean should we pick a, a wild guy sort of a, a dark horse each I don't know if you've got the thing there. Oh, I mean, the obvious quasi dark horse would be um, Furuja, right? He's not a dark horse in the sense that he's a top ten player. And he's not... number three seed. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, he... <laughs> big call from Robin there. Big call. I think from more Robin. in the context of a of a of a, of a candidate's appearance, really, because I, I think what's 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 not necessarily um, interesting me so much about who is going to qualify for the, for, for the candidates is who's going to miss out. Um, because I mean, you've got. I just I mentioned it before. They're four slots really uh, that are still kind of up for grabs, and then you haven't even got Caruana and Ding Loren there, who are sort of by pretty much general consensus considered to be the two closest challengers to Magnus. So if you imagine they get in, and and then probably uh, Carlson, the other player, he said that sort of poses him some difficulties. Is, is is Wesley so right? So I mean, if you slot, if you just hypothetically slot those three in, then suddenly right, you've got you know Aronian. Grishuk, Feruja, uh, Giri, uh, MVL, 
uh, etc cetera, etc cetera going on like the 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 it's going to be a real uh, a real real crush no i i agree Let's, i mean looking down the top 15 in the world right now okay we're guaranteed so in terms of the it's nine players really it's champion and candidates so of those nine you're guaranteed carlson and nepo to be in that bit we're guaranteed duda Kayakin and Rajabov. But Kayakin's not in the world top 15. Oh. This is my point. So Duda is number 15 in the world. So it's Duda, we guarantee Duda, Rajabov, Carlson and Nepo. So there's four of the other five places, basically. No. Yeah. Four. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's four, four other places, right? There's four yeah. of those of those nine places to fill. Yeah. Between, at the very, very... Le- I mean, this is assuming that no one else in the world's top 15 is going to qualify, right? So... If there's only four places available, you've got Karana, Ding, Aronian, So, Giri, Grishchuk, Firuja, Report, Mamajarov, MVL, Dominguez, Perez. That's a lot. And what, six of those at least are going to miss out. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you can't have them all, but, you know, uh, it's, I mean, definitely if you look, if you just look at the top nine, Firuja, Grishchuk, Giri, So, Aronian, Ding, Karana, you know, there's going to be a lot of them missing out. I think it's bigger when you when you slot Duda in as well because he's in the top fifteen, but he's fifty. Obviously, right? You've got nine places and you've got a top fifteen. You're always going to have at least six missing out. But I think it's the fact that neither it's going to be more. I, yeah. I, I think the fact that neither Caruana or or Ding Loren has, has has already got a slot actually puts a tremendous amount of import on these tournaments because Ding Loren's not playing here, right? So you've got to expect that he'll be taking the Grand Prix extremely seriously, right? And he is, yeah. you know, arguably the second best player in the world um, in classical. And so you would, uh, you, you'd say that, right, if you're, if you're, say, Maxime Vachier Lagrave, right, you've got, you know, do you, are you, do you really want to go to the, to the Grand Prix knowing that you've got, you know, to face potentially, right, Caruana and Ding Loren are still going to have their, not going to have their spots guaranteed potentially get at the, at the Grand Prix. I think that this is actually, this tournament is extremely important as an opportunity, not just for, for people outside the top, the elite, but if you're Alireza Farouja, right, you're thinking, right, you know, this got to be now. So, so in terms of the, the slots available now, there's two for this tournament and two for the Grand Prix. That's it. So it's top top one and two, and then and, and then whoever loses the, the world championship. And if uh, if someone say won the Grand Swiss and then came second in the Grand Prix, would it be then then the third place in the Grand Prix would get it? Yeah, how does that? Would work? it be an extra place from the Grand Prix or an extra place for the Grand Swiss? Uh, it would take precedence in order. I know what you mean, but I think it would just be the the, the highest right, okay. non qualify in the Grand Prix. Right. Okay. What's the format for the Grand Prix? It's just 24 players, uh, three tournaments, and then each tournament having 16 players, so they each play in two. And then, yeah, there'll be some kind of point system. I think it's winner gets 13 points, runner-up 10. It's it's like a sort of Formula One-style point system, and then there's tie breaks based on that. So it's a lot more more likely to go to the stronger player than than an 11-player tournament. game tournament because it's based on two events instead of one yeah and yeah it's, it's exciting i mean i'm after last week saying that this event shouldn't happen i still think that that's correct but equally you know it's happening now let's let's get invested um i think it's it's going to be very exciting and in such a congested and tight field we're not going to really know anything until after at least nine rounds really uh, which is good because what normally happens is we preview these events and then something something <laughs> decisive happens and then we can't cover it for a week. Uh, we 
like next week's episode, we still won't really know what's happening with the. Uh, I mean, unless someone is goes completely come goes completely nuts and starts, you know, starts with six out of seven or something. But I think that's very unlikely. I think by the time we get round to next week, very likely there'll be a twelve-way tie on four and a half out of six or something. Shall be watching with interest. My my prediction is that the tournament gets riddled with COVID. They have to call it off, and then. There'll be people arguing that they should have made the candidates, but they didn't because of this tournament in the same way that we do the Rajabov, but with more people. Yeah. Anyway, should we, should we go for some dark horses? Svidler. I'm going for Svidler as my dark horse. Svidler counts as a dark horse. He's number 15. Um, I'm just looking down. Someone who might make a run because, yeah, David Howell did two years ago. He's playing again. David Howell is 34th seed. Uh, I will go... Hmm. Who's been good lately? Because all it needs is, as I say, it just needs someone to get a couple of results in a row towards the end, and they're probably going to be up there on seven and a half, maybe even eight. Artemiev. Artemiev, right. yeah. He would be a... Uh, he's, he, he's uh, well, obviously very good in quicker formats. That's my dark horse pick. I'm going to... Because he's fun, and he just seems to enjoy these kinds of events. I'm going to go Ardiban. Mm. I think Ardiban might... Uh, might get things done here. Dubov is a is another potential dark horse, is he? Uh, well, again, he's number eight seed. Is, is that a dark horse? Not sure. We're only th- looking for someone to finish in the top two here. I feel like Croatia were perennial dark horses at like European Championships, and they would always be around the eight eighth sort of seed. So I think that's kind of kind of fair <laughs> enough. I think. Maybe another one to to watch out for here. I would say is Jordan Van Vorst. He obviously did very well at Vacancy. Uh, last time around and so he's clearly very comfortable in the sort of tournament setting playing at the highest level uh, and has, has, has performed above expectations before so you'd imagine that the, uh, he's going to be relatively speaking capable of, of dealing with the pressure I mean they, they all are really I mean these guys are all uh, all sickos but yeah this is going to be fun so yeah the first round is uh, today and or yesterday if you're listening uh but yeah we'll we'll be well underway by the time uh we come back to this next week but yeah it's a looks like a a fun lineup but it is yeah heavily diluted at the top very few uh of the world elite elite are playing because of everything that's happened which is a shame but that's what it, that's that's what we've got now well we've talked a disgustingly amount of about chess so far this 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 morning so uh, I'll bring us back onto track and, and potentially not talk about chess by saying Phil has a quiz Phil does have a quiz but first some feedback and yeah directly relating to the discussion we had last week on the Grand Swiss and Covid in general and chess's attitude towards it uh, a leading tournament organiser got in touch with us and basically said yeah, you've made me think about what to do with my next tournament. Is it Mr. Dodgy? It was not Mr. Dodgy, but uh, Mr. Dodgy. Mr. Todgy. Was it? Was it Magnus Carlsen? It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah. We're not going to go to Dubai anymore. We're going to have it in Cleethorpes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's good. So thank you to that person for just sort of getting into. And we had a little little discussion about uh, yeah the kinds of things that are in evidence from a, like the main thing we discussed was if you have a sort of vaccine passport style system for a tournament as in you, you require proof of vaccination or proof of exemption and you advertise that very earnestly is that going to increase people's confidence in entering a tournament who are that way and you know who are not 
mad? <laughs> or is it going to put people off? Are you going to put more people off by, by having the system in place or by not, basically? It's hard to say because there's a kind of, I want to rationalize it and say that it would uh, it would encourage people to attend, right? Because I think that wherever you stand on the kind of idea of max- mandating vaccines for things like uh, workplaces and, and various other things a chess tournament is very much an an opt-in sort of situation no one is compelled to attend a chess event no one indeed is compelled to organize a chess event and so i think if you're an organizer and you don't feel comfortable like you're as an organizer you're likely to attend the event if you don't feel comfortable with the idea that there are going to be potentially multiple unvaccinated players there i think you're perfectly within your rights to say i'm not organizing this for for people who aren't vaccinated but then it's it's distinctly possible that there would be people who would um who would interpret that as a sort of a political uh, statement and would say well this is contravening my sort of rights uh, xyz and stuff and so that may be off-putting i don't know what the my guess would be that the uh, i mean but when i was at the tournament there were quite a lot of people who were wearing masks at the board actually wearing them sort of when or or not wearing them at the board but would put them on every time they would get up things like that so i i tend to think the chess community is quite uh quite cautious around this sort of stuff obviously it tends tends a bit older especially at like a weekend tournament in suffolk um so I think that largely there's an appetite for being vaccinated among the chess community. So I imagine it would uh, encourage people, but I, I, I think context is going to be key. It depends where you're holding it. And, you know, I think certainly if you're, if you're, if you're doing something in London, right, like you're, there's just more people in London and just a high, therefore a sort of higher rate of nutters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but this is a thing. So that's, um, it's very interesting. A uh, little discussion. Thank you for that person for getting in touch and sort of being honest about the challenges that they were facing. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll um, we'll definitely keep that uh, dialogue up. The uh, the chess pit is influencing the influencers. That's what's happening. <laughs> so yeah, that was some nice feedback. And equally, um, we've had some. Oh, I had a nice thing from Michael Bennett on Twitter. Uh, he pointed out that uh, the current US uh, champions, the, the US championship happened recently for both men and women. And you've got the winners were Wesley So and Carissa Yip. And he thinks that this is probably the shortest combined surnames <laughs> of reigning national champions in any sport. Though maybe in China or something, they've had two like U's or Y's or something at some point. But yeah, this is, uh, that was quite good. Um, right, the quiz. Let's have a quiz can't believe we're only doing the quiz after half an hour but there we go i said i told you to get used to this guys yeah you, we talked about chess robin you missed the <laughs> you, sorry you missed the I've, memo i've totally missed the missed the point of this chess podcast <laughs> so uh you're not going to get as long as you normally do to solve these but three rookbusters clues uh have a cryptic formation and then they will align to a chess term or human number one Cheese from Munich. And your initial there is C. Cheese from Munich. Number two. Crushed by a kitchen cabinet. Crushed by a kitchen cabinet. And your initials there are D. D. Number three. Fast food chains. Computer hardware. Fast food chains. Computer hardware. And your initials there are M. E. So you've got the rest of the not much of an episode to... uh, have a go at those, and we'll come back to the answers at the end. Good. Well, 
the thing I've got written down on the running order now is Robin's Organic Bobbin Store. That old chestnut. <laughs> right, I've got some fo- I've got some photos here. I believe you have some things that people have sent Robin's wave to cast his eye over. So uh, I would give, by way of explanation, some explanation here, but I don't have any explanation. So this this section is really really is inexplicable. <laughs> yeah, it is a um, a work in progress, and we're we're sort of working it out as we as we go along. Not necessarily the most podcast friendly uh, segment. This as well. I'll just look at some pictures and I guess try and describe them to the audience. And then we'll put them on our Twitter on the website. We'll just build a Robin's Bobbin thing on the website, I guess. Okay, so let's look at uh, number one. So we have what appears to be some <laughs> sort of engraved chess sort of pendanty medallion uh, here. It looks very, uh, very posh. Days gone by, I was actually a scholar of the Worshipful Company of Cutlers, and this is giving me strong similar vibes. <laughs> you're, you're a mason. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I said, Phil. That's what those words meant. <laughs> I thought you'd give me a weird handshake the other week. Yeah. That wasn't a handshake. <laughs> um, you know, this is a this is a lovely artifact. It's got a box and everything, um, and it by appointment to Her Majesty the Queen. I don't know who that is, but uh, apart from that, uh, the next one we have has appears to be a sort of hand. I'm going to say carved chess set. Is that wooden, or is that possibly some sort of stone? Um, yeah, would that. I reckon this is a this is a prisoner of war chess set, isn't it? Yeah, part of the chess set carved with army pen knives during the First World War in the trenches in France by two Framlingham by two Framlingham soldiers, made of boxwood, which was the only material available to them. I do applaud the uh, the. Uh... The uh, the sort of um, fortitude of the people carving those. I imagine that had I been in the trenches of the First World War, I would have been too busy cowering and crying um, <laughs> to to carve a chess set. So uh, so that's and then <laughs> someone's just submitted their uh, their score sheet from a uh, from a game that looks like it was played in an under 14s tournament in Suffolk. That's uh, oh, Matt Fletcher playing against Luke McShane when Luke McShane was about six. Yeah, maybe seven. I- I don't know who either of these people are, but... You don't know who Luke McShane is? No, who's Luke McShane? He's like the England number three. In chess? He's probably... Yes. <laughs> no cricket. Right, it'd be good of Luke McShane Warren is his name, his full name, to give him his full name, yeah. Right, one minute I'm being accused of making the podcast too much about chess, now I'm getting jip for not knowing who chess players Even are. Even I know who Luke McShane is, you fraud. He, he's the world number 57. Oh, God, well, I can't do a... I can't do multiples of nineteen. It just doesn't uh, doesn't work for me. It, it looks like a it looks like a French defence. So I uh, I don't really think much of the French. So I'm gonna say that this is not being stocked at, at the organic bobbin store. The other two definitely uh, are in there. I've just noticed that at the bottom it says someone's written comments on the game and they've written at the end they draw and they've written miles too early for both sides to agree a draw. <laughs> Tony Miles too early. That's, yeah, that Tony Miles. The joke that sprung to mind. I'm reading a book at the moment, uh, which is saying that you should just never agree to a draw in any situation in chess. Uh, pump up your rating by Axel Smith in an appeal against draws. He um, he then gives a game in it, which is what follows is my worst ever game rendered in full, and it's just a five <laughs> a, f- a five move draw. Wow. Do we have more information on the first one? No. Um, Matt Fletcher just sent us to send us that without any context. So we can appeal to. It's presumably a medal that he's won. Um, I don't know. It's just yeah. It's but it's it's a proper one, isn't it? Because it, it looks like it's you know 
solid silver, I'd imagine, um, or maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, you, know, you don't get you don't get a goldsmith's making random chess medals if it's not made of something nice. You'd assume. But yeah, we we maybe we'll have a vote. Should we have a vote on Twitter for these? Whether they should go into Robin's organic bobbin store? You can do. My initial thought was that the first two are definitely getting in, and and, and the third not. Okay. Uh, because of the, as I said, because of the aforementioned use of the French defence. But um, fair enough. But I, what I would say is that we possibly won't. It's possibly going to be an exclusive offer on the hand carved chess set because I feel like sort of in order to produce more of those, we would need to put people in sort of. World War One style trench warfare. I feel like that's going to be a that's you know that's not a very ethical way of producing chess sets. So I'd uh... <laughs> okay. So you don't want to encourage that? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, possibly not. I think. Although I mean, I guess <laughs> given where most people get their clothes from, I suppose it's uh, <laughs> a it's a beautiful chess set. It, it, yeah, we'll it is. Yeah. For the record, I don't think that these guys were simply in the trenches producing chess sets. In in the same way that the small children in Southeast Asia are creating Nike shoes for, for the purpose of being worn by Western consumers. Right, who wants a silly question? I haven't really thought of one, but um, yeah, I, I suppose the, if we're talking about playing games in the trenches and, uh, and, and chess, what do we think the... I don't know. If you, which battle in or war in fact in world history do you think would have been the best to play chess in wait what i was assuming you were going to say was the most like chess i feel <laughs> okay <laughs> best to play chess uh, i don't know the, the the cold war possibly because <laughs> the hundred year war it went on forever <laughs> don't you want one that just did nothing happen yeah yeah there have presumably been loads of wars in history where there weren't actually any uh I mean, so the, the the first Gulf War, right, was very uh, there was very limited combat. It was only short as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that's uh, as my my the extent of my knowledge of the first Gulf War is basically to do with the film Jarhead. So, having watched <laughs> Jarhead, they were sat around a lot, seemingly very bored. So a chess set probably would have uh, would have come in handy there. I think that's sort of a, a reality that's true of many wars. I don't mm. think many wars are twenty four seven fighting, are they? What about the Cod Wars? Because wasn't that basically just like Iceland and Icelandic and British fishing vessels just throwing fish at each other just while the government sorted out the territorial waters? I'll be honest, I've never heard of the Cod Wars. You've never heard of the Cod Wars? They're very fun. The proper thing. What about uh, what about robot wars? <laughs> we got Matilda just playing chess against. <laughs> what was it? Um, Sergeant Bash. Yeah, de- dead metal and Sir, Sir Killalot. Sir Killalot. <laughs> <laughs> such a bad name i'm like uh i was really into robot wars when i was as it's probably true of most chess players i guess I was really into robot wars when i was like eight years old uh i've been to like multiple robot wars based events which i dragged my mum to as a child so the the casualties in the cod war were one was, was it a cod, cod? <laughs> <laughs> it was a an icelandic engineer who was accidentally killed while repairing damage on the icelandic patrol boat Ihir. they collided on um da, 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 da. a trawlerman from grimsby was wounded on 19th february 1976 hit by the loose cordage after an icelandic gunboat cut his vessel's net it, it it sounds very silly, but it was very serious. For I mean, it happened for a long time, sort of between like 1958 and 1976. 
So lots of time for playing chess. This wasn't a cod war like cod reggae. It's not like cod Latin, no. <laughs> cod peace. Cod peace. <laughs> Minor cod peace. <laughs> Keeping us in the chess theme, I suppose. Maybe that's a, a silly question for another day. If you were to incorporate a cod piece into the game. How would it move? That's a much more the speed of silly question that I was expecting. Okay. Well, we can. the format is is open for that sort of development. So yeah, let's let's move on to that silly question. Um if we were to incorporate a cod piece into the into the chessboard, wh- where would it fit and uh, how would it move? I think I've broken you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, would it would it well, see cod cod don't really have any sort of like if it was a sa- were it a salmon, I could suggest it would sort of leap. There'd be some sort of maybe it could move uh, sort of in the same orientation as a rook, but sort of jump over pieces, but only a certain distance, sort of flail over them. But for cod, it's quite hard to say. No, but sorry, sorry. Are we talk about cod or are we talk about cod pieces? Cod piece, isn't it? Yeah. I'm assuming, yeah, it's not a cod piece piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's not a cod either. Well, well no, there's yeah, a knight. A knight, yeah, it's, is a, it? Yeah, it's a, you could say the knight is a, is a piece. piece. It's like a horse. It's not a knight piece. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't get the question. <laughs> so, so imagining that a cod was a chess piece called the cod piece. Oh, I see. As opposed to, I was, I, I was thinking of putting a cod... John isn't just asking us to describe a cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of putting a cod piece on a particular piece and then how that would protect it. <laughs> I mean, it's a silly question. It can go anywhere. <laughs> and it has, in fact, gone anywhere. So, Unlike a cod piece, which has one specific place where it goes. You could just attach a cod piece to a, to a, a piece one one time in a game. And that means it's, uh, you know, protected from capture. A little pouch on the bishop. little <laughs> <laughs> pouch on the bishop. That's not euphemistic <laughs> at all. Um, um, yeah, so I, I guess that would just stop you from blundering. That would be, that'd be interesting, though, if you had, like, a blunder rule. Maybe yeah, you just do it once per game, and you can just sit there for, one like, two moves. Who's lost Robin? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do think, like, maybe that would just make chess worse if you just had a blunder rule, where it's like you're allowed one blunder a game. I feel like that would be good for showboating as well, when you've got sort of, like, a mate and three on the board, just uh, <laughs> deliberately just give it, oh, no, that was my blunder, and then just uh, <laughs> showboating. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I think we've plumbed the depths here, really. So uh, maybe it's time for us to move on to the answer to a quiz. <laughs> okay, so uh, three Rookbusters clues. Um, let's see how you guys did. Right, cheese from Munich. Initial C. Cheese in German is like Kaser, isn't it? That's it. Right, what's Kaser in chess? Robin? Robin doesn't even know who Luke McShane is, mate. Good good luck getting anything out of him. Yeah, I wouldn't have I didn't know what cheese was in German, so I don't speak any German. Do you know German. what cheese is in English? <laughs> um Yes, John. <laughs> Not I, all of I, us are lactose intolerant like you. <laughs> uh, I've no idea what Kaser is, what is it? Kaser is the goddess of chess. C A I double S A. Kaser. There we go. Yeah, but is 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 Kaser fifty seventh in the world? <laughs> yes, or or any multiple of nineteen in the world? Yes, one hundred and fourteenth in the world. Yes, she's ranked fifty seventh in the list of deities. So the joke's on you, Robin. <laughs> Number two, uh, crushed by a kitchen cabinet. D D. I've an idea about this, but again, I'm just sort of guessing at a phrase which may not exist but uh, i was thinking maybe draw death or something yeah, like that draw death we know draw death no not familiar with that I, I guess it's when you're like 
drawing everything. It's basically the influence of the impact of engines on modern opening theory and that, yeah, these top players now know 25 moves deep in the night off and it just reaches the sort of objectively level position because the computer's told them that it does. And so you get this draw death in major tournaments where, yeah, people just play out very level games and that's it. So draw death. Fast food chains computer hardware, M-E. Well, so there's a McDonald's attack, right? (laughs) E4F4 against the Sicilian. Right. Uh, No. Is it McDonald's though? It's to do with McDonald's, but it's not what I mean. I don't know what would you. What is computer hardware? What Engine? kind of thing would be mouse? No, like big, big computer hardware. You know, like this entire deserts full of these. Oh, like a like a like a, a data center server cloud cloud. No server was correct. Well, keep going. Fast food chains computer hardware. M E Mac server. <laughs> yes. Oh no, that's so bad. I was pleased with that one this morning. Um yeah, the Mac server, Max over. I'll just leave. It's fine. <laughs> well, you've really ruined the vibe of this podcast, haven't you? I did get told earlier this week during improv that I make too many puns. Um Clearly, I need to do more on this podcast so that I don't then... Though, to be fair, this week, I, I, don't like, I was given the character of Elvis and I was given the location of B&Q, the hardware store. And so, obviously, at some point, I was going to do a thing about blue suede screws. Like, that's obviously, it's just an open goal. And you're expecting me not to go there? So, yeah. But maybe I just need to get all my puns out of the way here. Isn't part of the joy of humour coming from the unexpected? If you Yes, were. <laughs> but also... I was I was just not gonna not do that. <laughs> but there we go. Yes. So if you've got any or all of those Rookbusters answers at home, well done. And please do submit your own because apparently mine are too bad. Please do submit your own, dear listeners. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this podcast. If you like what we do, head over to our website which is www.chesspit.com. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> to be honest, if you like what we do, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> if we like what we do, do seek out professional help but to do that go to our website www.chesspitpod.com and if you also like what we do (laughs) if you like what we do even more head over to our twitter channel at chesspitpod yes yes that's also the right one thanks as always go to our sponsor playfair capital playfair capital is one of london's leading venture capital funds and with that we arrive at the end of what has been a bodice-ripping episode. A codice-ripping episode. <laughs> a codice-ripping episode. All that remains for me to do is to say thank you, Phil. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Thank you. And thank you, dear listeners.